0: The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff and management.
1: We carry on through our day as if everything is just fine. But for many of us, it's merely a mask covering up all the emotion simmering just under the surface. Welcome to Stories from the Heart of Leadership with Shameen Sadiq. In this program, you'll hear from others who face the same adversities in life as the rest of us. But these individuals have redirected their energies to creating extraordinary ideas and concepts. Find out what they are and what's behind the motive. Now, here is your host, Shameen Sadiq.
2: Hello and welcome to Stories from the Heart of Leadership. I'm your host, Shamin Sadek, and you're listening to us today on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. I have been thinking a lot about possibilities, um, creating something where uh, something didn't previously exist, and it's an exciting topic for me these days. I found myself over the weekend thinking about my grandmother, my paternal grandmother. She passed away about 20 years. Or so years ago, and so it's been a long time since I've been with her uh, in in her in her present in her previous form but I speak to her often uh, energetically and um, she is a source of huge inspiration for me. She had a shop on uh, a a street in Toronto called Bayview Avenue which is a very um, nice area and a very um, kind of exclusive area. So my grandmother came to Canada Uh, She immigrated to Canada when she was in her late 40s, maybe early 50s. Her two sons, my dad and my uncle, had already come here, and she followed them. She was a widow uh, from a very young age. Her husband passed away very suddenly when my dad was 13. So my grandmother was a single mom in a time when that was not the norm. She raised two boys on her own, sent them to Canada, and then followed to join them she opened a shop on Bayview Avenue and uh, began to sell Indian clothing to the people of Toronto. Now, this was in the 1970s when there wasn't a lot of diversity here, it perhaps wasn't as diverse as, as it is now, well, well, for sure it wasn't as diverse as it is now, but she was in this very exclusive area selling Indian clothing, and she created a community around her store, and so uh, that, that store, that shop, I called it her shop, it was was um, a place that I grew up in as well. I went to school not too far away, because we lived in that neighborhood as well, and my grandmother would sometimes close her shop at three o'clock, walk to the school to pick up myself and my brother, and then we'd spend the evening there until my dad could come and pick us up after he was done work. So I spent quite a lot of time there. And so why she's inspiring me is on two fronts. One, she created a business where one previously didn't exist. There there were very few stores in Toronto at that time that sold Indian fashions. I mean, fashions from India, they just weren't the norm here. They weren't the thing. And she was one of the pioneers in that regard, bringing the, our culture, our Indian culture to Toronto and she was very, very popular with her uh, neighborhood clientele. They used to, women used to come in uh, to browse or just to say hello. They would bring her a coffee or a cup of tea and they'd sit down and chat together. A real sense of community. So it's on those two fronts that I uh, thought about the topic for today, which is, is it possible? Yes. Yes. Uh, about creating what is possible, creating something where there wasn't something previously there and so my guest today um, has a connection to both of these things that have inspired me one, I met Linda Stevenson the CEO and founder of Meridesso, at another shop that is very similar to my grandma's and in fact it's even in a very similar neighborhood, very close by to where my grandma's shop was Uh, it's a salon called Bella Rouge and I met her there and the thing I love about this place is when I go there I feel like I belong. I feel like I'm part of a family. I feel like I'm part of a small community and no matter who is there getting their hair done at the same time as me I end up having some sort of chat, some sort of connection with everyone who, or or with other people who are clientele, as well as the owners and operators of this, um, this salon. They're just wonderful and do a great job of creating and fostering the same kind of community that my grandma used to foster and create. And then the second thing that I just love is that Linda has created something where it didn't previously exist. Uh, we were just talking about about being pioneers, and uh, we were saying that with the ice storm last, last winter, uh, it was hard to kind of manage. So Linda was saying she wouldn't have been a good pioneer, but I think you are yeah. a pioneer. <laughs> in, at least in the Canadian um, cosmetic industry, I believe that you are. Oh, well, thank so, you. Yes, yeah, so I'm so pleased to welcome you to Stories from the Heart of Leadership.
3: Thank you, thank you so much. A great introduction. Your grandmother sounds amazing.
2: She was uh, she was extraordinary. That's for sure. Um, so and so are you. Tell us a well, little bit. <laughs> so here's the other thing, um, listeners. I have. Since I started this show in February, I've always asked people who I know really well to be on the show. And then in the last few weeks, I've done a few by myself, but I've also begun to ask people who I'm not in as um, long relationship with. And so Linda and I, we've only talked a couple of times.
3: We've met right. very recently. Well, I think um, when you meet in the salon getting your hair done, that, that's a bonding that uh, <laughs> only women can truly understand. It,
2: it's so true, so true. <laughs> and I know we bonded over a number of things. Yeah, Ta- Talk a little bit about Meridesso, what it is, and, um, and what made you create this business.
3: Well, I've actually been in the uh, beauty industry for many, many years, over 25 years, and uh, my background is I'm a chemist, a microbiologist, and a botanist by profession, and uh, worked in the beauty industry creating product lines for many other brands for many, many years, uh, and so it was uh, either working in corporate or being as a private consultant to entrepreneurial brands or even corporate clients. And then about uh, six years ago, someone said, you keep doing it for somebody else, you should do it for yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's where Meridesa was born. And I really noticed that there was a void in the marketplace, um, and that that's why I wanted to try and fill. And what was the void that you noticed Well, I've been finding that in my industry, along with other consumer goods as well, the segmentation and uh, proliferation of like products has just gone a little bit crazy. I mean, in every single category, I mean, do we really need 27 different toothpastes? Do we really Mm -hmm. need so many different kinds of shampoo? And so I really wanted to create a skincare product and a skincare regime that actually took away all the different steps. And so our moisturizer, for example, is a, uh, a day cream, a night cream, a serum, a primer for makeup, and eye cream all in one. So, challenging myself as a product developer, challenging myself to say, can can this actually, can we actually formulate this product, and can does it actually work? And we found that it really does. And by eliminating the need for different steps, it sort of cuts out the noise. And so, every single product within the Mereditho family has that same mantra, which is let's have let's bring simplicity, ease, and effectiveness back into simple daily routines.
2: Simplicity, ease, and effectiveness, you said. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. I love that. I'm all about that on the leadership front, so I think we have so much in common. I look forward <laughs> to uh this is, this is just the beginning of our friendship, I can Yay! tell.
3: <laughs> and what does Mere
2: Adesso mean?
3: Where did the uh, name Meridesso come from? actually, it stems from Mere, which is mother in French, and uh. Adesso, which means now in Italian. So mother now is where it originally came from. Even though we consider ourselves now a unisex brand, it really was when I became a mom, I had uh. no more time. I thought I had no time, then I really had no time. <laughs> So it was really to address my pet peeves of saying, okay, how can, I, how can I save 10 minutes in the morning? How can I have some time for myself? How can I manage to get dressed and get everything together and get out the door with my two-year-old? That's where that came from.
2: Oh, wow. I love that. I love yeah. that. And so your, your
3: child is now how old? He is now 12, oh uh, going God. on 37, of course. <laughs> uh, but uh, he is, he's in grade 7, so we're, it's a new chapter.
2: Wow. Middle wow. school. That's awesome. That's awesome, and, um, we were talking before the show about this notion of creating something out of nothing, or something where right. there wasn't something previously. And you were you were saying that this this has a long these have long roots back to your childhood.
3: Uh, tell me a little bit more about what it was like growing up as a curious child. Oh well, I just—I guess I always was somebody who always wanted to see how something worked. I think that's probably one of the reasons why I, I gravitated towards the sciences. Was uh, even early on in, in school, I loved the sciences. I loved understanding how the world worked, how things worked, and, and I think I told you the story about how when I was, I think, eight or nine years old, I took apart the family vacuum cleaner like took it right down to the nuts and the oh, bolts,
2: my and then had
3: this moment of absolute shock, realizing I had to put it back together again now that I took it apart. And uh, for many years after. The that the vacuum cleaner had this very strange rattle which my mother couldn't understand um, <laughs> I didn't really tell her where that I thought that rattle came from but <laughs> it
4: was probably a miscalculation oh my gosh
3: my so you were just together. one of those naturally curious people Yeah, I mean, I think that that's that's one of the things, if we talk about success and leadership, I think one of the things that makes people successful, and I don't think of success in terms of monetary success, but I mean just successful in your life in terms of being happy and finding your passion and finding what it is you want to do with life is really curiosity. I I don't know how you can achieve something without that innate sense of curiosity about your world, about people, about life, about, you know, always wanting to learn something new. And my dad even said, you know, you never stop learning. Uh, You you just can never stop learning. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's a fellow who did his PhD when he was in his 60s. So uh, he just always loved that and and tried to instill that in me. Wow. We've got
2: some uh, family inspiration. We've got that theme happening here, too, I'm noticing.
3: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Oh, that's great. I um, uh, This thing about being curious about yourself, about other people, about how the world works is very central. It's a central theme for me as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, when we stop learning, we stop growing. And when we stop growing, we kind of stagnate. And even Absolutely. the things... Yeah. Sorry, go
3: ahead. No, I was just going to say that, it, you know, even within careers, I mean, are you really having... 10 years within an organization learning all those 10 years, or are you just taking that one year and repeating it 10 times?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And is that what you saw people doing when you were working in the, in the cosmetic industry and the beauty industry?
3: Well, I don't know that it's necessarily industry-related. I think that that exists everywhere. I think that, yeah. uh, to, to your point, that the person's personality that sort of drives curiosity. I mean, they're, they're people who just have stopped learning yeah. and growing uh, from the time they've left high school, even though they're, you know, in their 40s. It's just a matter of uh, the, what kind of personality do you have. Do you have that innate characteristic? And I think that that can hit any industry in any, any environment.
2: Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's so interesting. I never thought about beauty as an industry. I mean, of course, it's a huge industry. I'm, I'm, I'm not um, insane. I know that it is, but I just, <laughs> I've not had much exposure to it. Um, on a number of fronts, I, I haven't had clientele in that industry, so I don't know very much about it. And as well, I haven't been a great user of cosmetics and beauty products. I mean, I suppose I have. I use shampoo and conditioner and hair products, but I recently started to use makeup and I had not. I'd not really worn much makeup before recently. So I'm I feel like I, I feel like there's this whole world that I don't know anything about that's kind of waiting for me and I'm stepping in and exploring it. It's very interesting. Don't worry, I'll put um, your hand through it. Don't worry. Uh, yeah, thanks. Because, you know, I didn't even know what serum and toner I didn't know those I didn't know what those things were until very, very recently.
3: Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it certainly has exploded over the last uh, 30, 40 years. I mean, from from your Pond's cold cream, like in our grandmother's day, and using Vaseline to moving forward to all the different brands and all the different designer brands and different uh, focus on either color lines or or, um, hair care lines or or skin care lines. It's it's definitely expanded as a market and is growing rapidly. And and actually, typically, uh, cosmetics do very well in a, in a down or poor economy because women are much more willing to spend money on that lipstick to give them that pick-up. Versus spending hundreds of dollars on a new outfit, so uh, the cosmetics industry tends to be recession-proof uh, in that regard. Uh, and so there there are a lot of interesting elements to it, in terms of the psychology of of the consumer, what what prompts somebody to buy it. And and I love the industry because you're just making products that make people feel better about themselves, and that that help them resolve an issue or just make them uh, perk up their day. Or that that that's a fun industry to be in.
2: I think that, that that is part of what makes me so interested in it is that, you know, there are so many ways to help people to, to, to empower, help people empower themselves to feel good or to be satisfied or to live the life that they want to live. And this is a big piece of it is, you know, how I look, how I feel. Um, the man that I'm dating and I have conversations about makeup often because it takes a little while for me to put it on. I don't really know how to do it that quickly yet. And uh, he he says I look great without it. So
3: (laughs) there you go. Well, that's, that's perfect. That's perfect. No, I think it's, you know, when I get emails from people who say, no, you really helped my skin. My skin looks amazing. I now can go out of the house without makeup. Um, this has made my day. Like, I love those emails. Those, You know, when I have a bad day or I'm having a, you know, difficult situation and I get one of those emails, I'm like, okay, this is why I'm doing it. <laughs> uh-huh. That's a reminder. As to why, uh, why you uh, go through the trials and tribulations of creating new products when people love them and enjoy them and really feel that they benefit from them and it's improved their lives and improved their day that's that's really what it's all about
2: so there's um, a passion for helping fe- people feel good about themselves there's a passion for figuring out how things work and then and then uh, making something there's yeah. a passion for being a mother, and all of these things are present in your story so far.
3: Well, I, I, think you have to have that. I mean, I think you have to be enthusiastic and passionate about your life and about what you do and, and because that's what gives it energy. That's what creates it. That's what makes it happen. And if you don't, if you're kind of, uh, you don't, you know, sort of lackadaisical about certain things and nothing really moves forward, you, you have to have that drive and conviction because they're going to be stumbling blocks. You cannot create a brand. You cannot create a product and put all that time and effort into something without having some setbacks and having some bumps in the road. So you, you really have to have that overwhelming, passion and maybe just a slight little dash of crazy to make you keep going. <laughs> so,
2: <laughs> I, I want to hear about some of those bumps in the road, And I'm, uh, but we're going to go to a break in a couple of minutes. But before we do that, I want to know, um, just in terms of, I, I know that uh, we have a lot of American listeners, but I think we also have a lot of Canadian listeners. I know I do, uh, but half my listenership is Canadian. What is the difference, if any, between Canada and the U.S. when it comes to the beauty industry, like, do we have a lot of Canadian companies that that do what you do?
3: Um, well, it, it, there definitely have been starter companies like Mac, Cargo, or definitely starter Canadian companies. Okay. Uh, the advantage of being in Canada is that we have all the resources and are able to manage and create brands on smaller run sizes. Um, there are different regulations that are for the U.S. and Canadian uh, in terms of packaging regulations, formulation uh, categories. Uh, so, so when you formulate and when you create new products, you have to keep in mind both sides of the border, the regulations that are involved. So there are differences. Okay. Um, it's less of a risk in Canada to start a brand because the numbers are smaller. So from a financial standpoint, it's it's easier to start something new in Canada in some ways than it is in the U.S. On the other side, on the flip side, in the U.S., you have a much bigger audience. You're able to reach customers in your category much more efficiently. Okay. Uh, out of, you know, 600 million people, you, you can find that percentage and still be significant. Yes. So there are pluses and minuses. And in this day and age, you really have to be able to go – on both sides of the border. If you're in North America, you're you almost are a North American brand versus just a Canadian or just a, a U.S. Yeah. brand. Mm.
2: And that is the case for you. you. You're selling your your brand here in Canada
3: and in the U.S. and in the U.S. Yes, we sell online as well as we we have a store and in, in, uh, we're represented by Birchbox in the in Soho in uh, okay. New York. So we're in their freestanding store, which is great. But we just recently entered the U.S. market. So for we've only been in the U.S. for about a year now. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. uh,
2: Good. Well, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll hear about some of the stumbling blocks. And then I know um, our listeners will be excited to hear about uh, something else that you're passionate about, but I won't say anything about it just yet. (coughs) I'll keep it for later. Okay. This is Stories from the Heart of Leadership. I'm Shamine Sadik. We're here with Linda Stevenson, the CEO and founder of Meridesso.
5: And we'll be right back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com.
0: Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community.
5: We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
1: You are listening to stories from the heart of leadership. If you have a question or comment, or just want to find out more about our program, please send Shamin an email. Her email address is shamin at AnjaliLeadership.com. That's S-H-A-H-M-E-E-N at A-N-J-A-L-I leadership.com. Now back to stories from the heart of leadership.
2: Welcome back to Stories from the Heart of Leadership. I'm your host, Shameen Sadek. And the topic today is, is it possible? Yes. And we're here with our guest, Linda Stevenson, the CEO and founder of Merodeso. So over the break, we were chatting about um, how it takes some guts to start something new, how it takes um, uh, some gumption. And um, you had some other choice words, Linda, (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you really have to, uh, you know, to be an entrepreneur, it takes a certain, first of all, it takes a certain kind of risk, pro- risk profile. you got to be willing to um, plan ahead, be willing to realize that when you start a new company, when you start a new venture, there's a lot of investment that goes in the upfront in the beginning uh, without the realization of it coming to fruition for for. A certain amount of time, so yeah. you got to be ready for the long haul. The, the so-called overnight successes really are 15-year overnight successes. In many cases, it's just that people are. There's usually a tipping point where people start hearing about a company, a product, or a service, or something, and then suddenly, oh yeah, this the grand new, the new kid on the block. It's like no, they're not that new, but it takes yeah. time and it takes energy and and uh, focus to be able to be an entrepreneur in in North yeah. America.
2: Yeah. What I'm um, appreciating about what you're saying is that often we can look at someone, one of those overnight successes, um, quote unquote, we can look at them and project onto them that they created it all in, a, in the blink of an eye. Right. But the but the truth is, as you rightly point out, is, is sometimes these things are years in the making.
3: Oh yeah, especially, I mean, cer- certainly things like a service industry is just a matter of word of mouth that can come up a little faster. But when you're actually creating an actual physical product, it's 18 months to two years and a little lots of money before you actually materialize that one bottle and fill it and then actually sell it. So it, mm-hmm. it's a, quite a long process and a lot of hundreds and thousands of steps have to be and A lot of different people have to touch it before it becomes real. And I think in today's economy, too, it's, it, it used to be in the past that you would pick a channel. You'd say, I'm an I'm a internet business or I'm a bricks and mortar business or I'm a direct selling business. Uh, now people are kind of expecting you to be everywhere. So it's quite daunting to anything in the product industry in, in that um, you're expected to have an online presence. You're expected to be in stores. So that's a lot of places to be at once, and uh, that takes a lot of time and energy and planning.
2: Exactly, to get ready and, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. be ready when you launch so that you can meet all those expectations. Yeah. So since you are uh, a living example of someone who has tread that journey, mm-hmm. tell us about some of the things that um, happened along the way, maybe some of the unexpected um, obstacles or challenges or roadblocks.
3: Sure. I mean, it's it's always uh, you know definitely when crossing. I know the first challenge I had uh, when I first uh, started shipping to the U.S. You know, you you get the regla- regulatory issues come up. You get reviewed by FDA. So those kinds of things can all of a sudden stop you. You have a a process or a product that you want to get shipped across, and suddenly everything gets put on hold. Everything's fine, but suddenly your timeline has been totally stopped and there's nothing you can do about it and just wait for wait for the process to happen so certainly Timelines have changed because of unexpected events. Um, you know things that you have no control over that surprise you. We had a there was a worldwide shortage of jojoba, which completely stopped to, uh, in being able to manufacture a certain product in my line um, because of a massive crop failure. So you know these are the types of things when you're dealing with natural extracts when you're dealing with botanical. Um, you know you have to wait till it grows again <laughs> wow. Wow. for it to do it. In fact, I delayed the launch of uh, one of my Products, my body bomb. I was ready to go, and there was again hurricanes in Florida, which wiped out the grapefruit uh, groves, and uh, there was the price of grapefruit oil extract went up 400 percent overnight. Oh my goodness. And people were pe- uh, companies were pre-buying future crops that hadn't even existed yet. So I actually delayed the launch of that product for two years because the price point would, would have just been ridiculous. And then going to other parts of the world to get that particular kind of extract was not feasible and would have changed the characteristics of the product. So we, we had to make a corporate decision to just not launch. Uh, nice. And so those are the kinds of stumbling blocks that, you know, Mother Nature, uh, you, you can't control. Yeah. or you have certain especially when you're bringing in extracts from all over the world and there might be political unrest somewhere in in the world and then suddenly you can't have supply because no flights are going out so there's there's no supply of that particular wow. ingredient so those are the types of things which we deal with and you just you learn to roll with it and you try to put enough cushion in your timelines to give a realistic uh, approach to when you can actually launch and the types of things that you um, you just kind of put in buffers for that but yeah some of those were came out of nowhere.
2: <laughs> wow, wow. You know, there's a framework that I use in my leadership um, consulting that you've been speaking about all parts of it. So I just, I want to share it with you because okay. um, it, it helps to put this all into a bit of a picture. There's something about having a, a vision and a vision with a purpose that underlies it that is very Um, very much fosters a lot of passion and you've been talking about that in the first segment of the show about you know how passionate you are about about helping about being a mother about um, noticing that you know there wasn't there wasn't anything that made it easy especially in those early days of being a mom and also the um the piece about wanting, like, passionate about creating, creating things. So right. having this vision with a purpose and a passion for that is one piece of this framework uh, for creating something. The other piece is being able to deal with the current reality, being able to really um, acknowledge and um, take into consideration the current reality. And in the current reality, there are kind of two types of current reality. One is external, and you've talked about that when you talk about the FDA approval process or the crop failure um, and shortages those are all things that are external so like you say I think part of Your resilience that you've built is to just be able to roll with that or to build in time so that you can, you know, accommodate those things that you can't foresee.
3: Yeah, absolutely. You always have to have another plan of action. You always have to have a backup plan. I think that that comes down to almost like a technical way your mind works and being very, you know, there's one thing to being a visionary and being to come up with a strategy and a a product idea, but then it comes back down to tactics. It comes back down to just what are the, the fundamental building blocks of how you get this done. Uh, So I think also part of being an entrepreneur as well and being successful is you're able to think both in terms of the strategy and big big picture kind of stuff, and then be able to draw it down to the individual tactics and take it down to one plus one equals two and, and what has to follow in terms of a timeline. So it, you have to be able to jump freely back and forth between small minutiae details to is it still in alignment with the bigger picture and the bigger yes. strategy, and be happy and be able to flow back and forth between those two worlds exactly then there's another part of the current reality that we haven't talked about
2: yet which is the internal component of the current reality and so for example those are those are things that you do have control over, but there are things that are largely internal to you. Like um, perhaps you get knocked off center because something, but something difficult happens, and you start to tell yourself, "Oh, maybe this has never happened to you, but it certainly has happened to me." But <laughs> oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, I can't do this. Oh, this is going to be too hard. And the internal part of the current reality is um, the part that I think when people are looking from the outside, they don't see that we also face sure. those challenges. Talk Talk about some of the ones that you are aware of that you
3: know it kind of got grabbed your heart or grabbed your gut inside. Well, I mean, I think that you you always have those moments of you know there, there are times you feel like you're walking uphill in a rainstorm. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, maybe it's my stubbornness that keeps me going, or just the, that could be that maybe that's the dash of crazy. Uh, no, I think I think what you have to do is you, you again maybe it's that same tactic that certainly when when somebody says they don't like my product I, that always weirdly hurts a little bit it's like that's mm. okay like uh, you know as a grown up you say that's fine the, the, not everyone's going to like everything so um but on some weird level it's still kind of like really that's my product baby really you didn't like that why and i always want to have a an an conversation try to convince them otherwise yeah. But i think that comes back to again those little moments where you are feel as though you know you you got a little bit sucker punched to to how do you get through that and I think it's again looking at the big picture like go back to how does this impact me overall and yes that was a setback and yes that wasn't nice or no that that wasn't pleasant mm-hmm. but you know in the grand scheme of things you know how blessed are your is your life you know is family okay is everybody okay we're good we're good that yeah. you, you get down to first principles and, and the big picture of what what's really Truly important, and how, how to get through it.
2: It's it's lovely because your your story and the way you're telling it exactly aligns with what I've been saying and what uh, others in my field say. And you know, this is the way we've learned to coach people and to help uh, help them become more effective is to use exactly the framework that you're. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard it described this way, but you're, at, so if not, you're unconsciously
3: already <laughs> in it and using it. Yeah, no, I haven't, I haven't really had that kind of conversation, but yeah, and I think also too, it helps with a really positive attitude. I think that you have yes. to be a glass half full kind of person. Yes. Uh, first of all, it's just that much easier and that much more fun when you, when you think positively about things or, or laugh about them. Like sometimes things can get so bad that it's just like either laugh or cry. So I try to choose to laugh at it. Yeah. Um but it's it's that type of uh, approach, I think, because everyone has a bag of hammers. Like, there's not one person on this planet that has this perfectly charmed life. We're all dealt something, whatever category it falls into, whether it's health, whether it's family, whether it's business. Like, we're all dealt some setbacks in our life. And then, and it really is the, the measure of the person on how do you get through it rather than or around it or, you know, how do, how do you manage those, those setbacks, which... Uh, which really makes for a person's personality and makes for their success in life I think.
2: Mhm, absolutely. The the way that we work with people to work on that those internal parts of their current realities to help them change their story. And right. so it sounds like what you're what you do is you tell yourself the other like the, the true story, which is, hey, you know what? I've got so much to be grateful for. Look look at how um, blessed I am. I have this beautiful child. I have, you know, my home and on uh, this business. And so somebody didn't like it. It doesn't mean I'm bad or right. that I did something wrong. And that's the work is to actually change that internal dialogue. Some people are more naturally Inclined to um, stay in the in the in the sort of depths and the darkness of the oh sure. God I you know and and at, and at different times in our lives we're more inclined to stay one way or the other. I saw something on Facebook today that said if you're if you were. A book title like if you walked into a room and you were a book title what would the title be and I was I was thinking would I be the doom and gloom or would I be the positive I, I'm hoping I'd be the positive and I think you know probably 70 to 80 percent of the time that's who I am um, <laughs> what, what would your
3: what would your title be if you
2: if oh goodness we gracious
3: t- um I don't know I, the, the title of the book if it was I don't know. It would definitely be something positive. I'd probably be cheeky in the, in the title.
2: I, I'm looking <laughs> at your picture uh, that you sent, and I'm thinking the same thing. You know, something cheeky, something positive, something upbeat with a lot of blue and a lot of light in it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can see the book, the book cover. I just can't see the <laughs> title yet, but we can work on that.
3: <laughs> I'll think about it. I'll let you know. I'll absolutely yeah. let you know.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I know it's a question for me too. I'm sort of letting it drop in. I haven't come up with an answer yet. But I I do think that the experience of being an entrepreneur and creating a business, um, mine is a services business, Mm -hmm. so I don't have as much of a there isn't quite as much skin in the game in terms of having to make investments in actual tangible products right. as yours. But there is something about that journey that has grown me into the person that I continue to grow into. Um, and I think, yeah, I'm quite different from how I was years ago.
3: Well, I, I think it is an evolution. I mean, you start off with, you know, just from from me being in sciences to to then uh, working in, in companies in a in technical lab uh you know, environment to then going to more management to then going into product development and then working with different brands and then becoming a consultant to brands and in different industries and then ultimately having my own brand. I mean, this is a long process. You just don't, yes. I didn't start from you know getting out of school to creating my own brand. There, there was a heck of a lot of learning, a lot of a lot of alliances, a lot of a lot of contacts within the industry, uh, and a, a lot of you know doing it for other people that. That I learned and, uh, you know, grew from that, and that mm. made me ready to to launch my own brand. I mean, yes, the University of Toronto gave me a degree, but I still say thank you to the University of Mac and thank you to the University of Estee Lauder for really helping me through the journey of being able to do what I'm doing today.
2: Yeah, it's, um, it's fantastic, and you're, I love what you're saying. Because you're right. We, again, we could project onto any successful person that we see out there that, oh, they must have, you know, they must have always been like that or they must have just, you know, walked into that. No way. Yeah. It comes from hard work and lots of learning and many lessons <laughs> and along the way. And, Absolutely. um, you've had a, a quite a rich immersion in this entire industry I can tell
3: well it's it's one that I, I started in pharma but then quickly moved over into into cosmetics and in the beauty industry and and I do I honestly say i'm I, I have to admit I love it I mean it's just <laughs> there's something about there's something I've said this many times to people it's kind of like you know Christmas morning and your birthday and all those special holidays all wrapped up to one when I go to first productions like when I go I, I I don't care if I have to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and be on the line first thing at startup when you you realize that what you thought about 18 months ago is now materializing and running on the production line and lovely ladies in... lab coats and hair nets are packing into boxes and like I did that (laughs) I just, you know you watch the birth of a product baby is basically how I look at it and I get excited it's like it never has lost its allure for me I fundamentally just love thinking that okay I just just manifested that and then hopefully people will love it as much as I do and it goes in the stores and people buy it and people you know like it and write about it and, and talk about it and that that has been so much fun for me and it just never loses its fun for me Wow, that's yeah. great. That it's is even warm so power with your own brand. I mean, I used to have that same feeling for other brands too, when I worked yeah. on a project. But yeah. And how, how
2: is it at, in your home life for you? I mean, I know what it's like over here. I, I've, I, sometimes I laugh. Okay, I'm asking you a question, but I have to say this first. Mm-hmm. I don't go to work every day. I don't have to go to an office every day and work anymore. I used to and, oh. years ago, but I do work a lot. <laughs> and, and so I have flexibility. I can come and go as I like pretty much, but I've got a uh, load of clients and lots of work and really busy and high demand and lots of travel. So right. I probably work more than I would. But I, it's funny because I was thinking, I'm so lucky I don't have to go to an office every day. <laughs> and, it, and my kids have grown up with watching me. They, they only really remember me as an entrepreneur. They don't remember what it was like when I used to work right. in an office before. How
3: is it for you at home? I can. I have so much flexibility with the twenty hours I work every day. It's really amazing. <laughs> Those twenty hours, I can be pretty much anywhere. Uh, no, I mean it's. I think I, I read once an article about a lady who said it, like, "What is you know? Can women have it all?" Quote unquote, with with work and family and so on. And the answer kind of came back with kind of if you have control over your schedule, if you're beholden to someone else's timeline and schedule then it doesn't work. It doesn't work to be, it's, it's, it's just too exhausting. But I can be incredibly busy so long as I'm in control of my day, then it seems to be all right. Gotcha. So if I, if, yes, I help my, my son with his homework, but then I get back at it, you know, at 10 at night. So that's, I have the flexibility to do that. Yeah. Uh, we do have offices here, so I do come into the office uh, every day, but it is, again, it is, there's a flexibility there. Yeah. That enables yeah. it to work. So uh, definitely working longer hours and harder hours than I did when I was in corporate, same same as what you said, but uh, I'm not as stressed about the work itself just because I have control, Does so that make sense.
2: Yeah, that's great. Well, let's take another break, and when we come back, we'll talk about this, uh, this other thing that I've been holding, waiting to say, and we'll, we'll get back to that after the break. See you in a bit.
4: We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
5: Do you or somebody you love have a struggle with abuse? You don't need to be a slave to your abuse anymore. Listen for Beyond Abuse, Beyond Therapy, Beyond Anything with Dr. Lisa Cooney. Dr. Lisa overcame struggles in her own life. Two decades of sexual, emotional, and physical abuse nearly took their toll. In her 20s, she turned her life around and set upon a path to help others. She can help you find the key to take control of your life, too. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to dish out success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Whether it's personal growth, building a better business, or inspirational life stories, make it a daily habit to tune into our programs. From weight loss and personal branding to law of attraction and increased happiness, you'll find it every day at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Succeed.
4: We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
1: You are listening to stories from the heart of leadership. If you have a question or comment or just want to find out more about our program, please send Shamin an email. Her email address is shameen at Leadership.com. That's S-H-A-H-M-E-E-N at A-N-J-A-L-I leadership.com. Now, back to Stories from the Heart of Leadership.
2: Welcome back to Stories from the Heart of Leadership. Our episode today is entitled, Is It Possible? Yes. And we're here with our guest, Linda Stevenson, the CEO and founder of Meridesso. Uh, Before we get back into the conversation, there are two things I want to do. First is to remind you, if you are a member of the Leadership Circle community in Toronto, we are having a Lunch and Learn on Tuesday, November 18th here in Toronto. This is a great opportunity. Um, We started the show by talking about building community. And there are over 100 of us who practice uh, with this suite of instruments here in Toronto. Uh, I think we have room for 40 and I'm not even sure if there are any seats left or maybe one or two. But if you'd like to join us on Tuesday, November 18th from noon to 3 p.m. at the Pentages Pentages Theater, uh, not theater, hotel, sorry. (laughs) I went to the theater and saw Phantom of the Opera years ago and uh, but it's actually the Pantages Hotel and you can contact Mike O'Connor to find out whether there's still room for you to join us that's at 704-231-7805 the second thing I want to do Linda is give you a chance to tell us how do we get in touch with you how do people find you
3: Oh, well, the, the best way to find us is online. Probably the easiest for both the Canadian and uh, U.S. listeners would be uh, meredesso.com. That's mereadess dot com. Uh, and... Uh, check on our site. Our products are, are very clearly described there. We have uh, information on key ingredients and why we put it in there, uh, how to contact us, and how to place it. It's very simple. I like to keep everything simple and easy on, on the site. Uh, just, uh, just as my brand is supposed to be uh, all about simplicity and ease, so is my website. I don't like a lot of stuff popping up and scaring people. So I <laughs> <Good. laughs> keep it all very direct and straightforward. So that's probably the best way to get a hold of us. Uh, and also for the U.S. customers, uh Birchbox. Uh, we are also sold with uh, with them as well. Great,
2: great, good. So, meredesso.com, M e r e a d e s s o. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing I've been just hanging hanging in for, which is so exciting to me, is. Um, that you were talking about thanking all the different universities—the University of Toronto, the University of Mac, and the University of uh, other uh, beauty companies—and yeah. I kind of wanted to glomp onto the the school part of it. I mean, yeah. you you entered into a um, field of study that is uh, sometimes girls tell themselves it's not for them.
3: Yeah, very male dominated. Actually, that's it's it's interesting. I think uh, I think because I'm an only child, no girl, and, and a daughter of an engineer. I, sciences and math were something that was always encouraged in, in my household growing up, and I didn't think anything of it. I just thought, okay, so I'd like sciences. I'm going to go further. Um, and when I went to university, I was in the distinct minority, uh, male versus female. It, mm-hmm. Maybe only 20% of the class in chemistry was uh, were female and even less in physics and some of the other uh, scientific disciplines. Uh, and what's shocking to me today is it's not that much better. I'd hope that it be at least now 50-50, but I've been told that no, it's still predominantly male that go into maths and sciences, and and that's a shame, because that's definitely so much more an integral part of our daily life than we even think about.
2: And so there's work that you do uh, to, uh, I'm not sure if it's work, but you speak to girls about these choices uh, of areas of study.
3: Yes, absolutely. I, I go back to my former high school. I go okay. back to uh, various. Um, I've done various symposiums and workshops, working with uh, kids in the, the grade nine to eleven. Uh, but mostly, okay. you want to try and hit them in grade nine, just because that's when they start deciding or can decide to drop yes. certain subjects. Yes. So we really try to encourage uh, girls to stay in sciences because there's so much opportunity. And the problem is, is that once you start saying no to some of these particular disciplines, it slams the door shut on so many industries and so many different areas that they could find work and enjoyment and, and creativity. So it may not seem, you know, obvious at the time why you need grade 12 math or why you need uh, entry-level, first-level chemistry, but suddenly n- they want to go into nursing or they want to go into some and those are now the prerequisites for those disciplines. And so it really is closing down doors, which, uh, which is unnecessary and, and uh, a shame.
2: So how do you frame this with girls of that age? What do you say to them to help them uh, reconsider if they're thinking about dropping math and science?
3: Well, I think one of the things that I that I always tend to point out is that it used to be in my day that that you could kind of put math and sciences over in a box over there or and then you could the arts over here. But now because of technology, like we live and breathe science like that you know i usually say to the girls that shirt you're wearing was designed on a computer and cut by a laser and so you know by machines that were created somewhere so you may say well science doesn't impact me math doesn't impact me but you live in it now you live in it you demand your iphone you demand your technology you demand it you expect to you live your daily life in it how can you not you know embrace it as part of of what you'd like to learn about and what you'd like to know about how does your iphone work I don't really know the answer to that, but I'm just saying. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what are you noticing? I mean, I, I work with kids who are um, elementary school-aged, mm-hmm. and we, we do some leadership work with them. Um so, I'm not so involved in their curriculum, you know, what, what they're learning in school. As of course, I am with my own children. Sure. But I haven't been looking at this from a science point of view. And so, I'm curious, what do you notice? Because the, the question that arises for me is how can we make the curriculum more interesting so that those connections become
3: more apparent earlier? I, I think it is connecting with their world. I mean, I do this with my son, too. I used to, like, he, he teases me because I always say everything is science. And he's like, Mom, everything is not science. I'm like, Yeah, it is. Give me—he'll try and stump me. What about this pencil? Science—it's <laughs> you know, so, um, connecting to the world. It's like okay, you're you're breathing. You're, you know what is that? How is that working? And I think when schools get more hands-on engagement with—it's not just a theoretical thing that's written on the board, but rather, you know, you you have some sort of field trips or you have labs or you have something where you can actually physically hold something, put it together, and see the end result be different. Uh, that's. That's what's engaging. And it's unfortunate that some school districts are cutting programs or cutting field trips because there's no funding for it. And I, and I think as parents um, and members of the community, we need to encourage that they connect with the outside world, that it's not just what you're learning in the classroom, but you're actually seeing it in action, giving them projects to work on that, that they have to create something that does something else. And and uh, that's the kind of work that needs to happen, I think. <laughs>
2: it's interesting I, I I was a science and math person too I I was my plan was to oh. either be an engineer or a doctor I, it turned out to be neither but um, <laughs> but when I was young I I mean my my culture is very science and math oriented my Indian heritage uh, there's sort of a, a joke that we have that we're, we have to be doctors lawyers wow. or engineers and if we're not we should marry someone who is and I <laughs> did neither go. of those things N- none of those things are my truth but I did attempt to because that was the way that I was pushed. And and I, I enjoyed math and science through high school. When I got to, uh, I started in engineering at Queen's University when I was 17 years old because I zipped through high school fast. I did it in four years, which is the norm now. But when I was in high school, there were five years of high school. Right. I compressed into four, so I was this kind of superstar academic person, uh, and, then I, and then I failed all my and then I failed all my midterms in the first semester at university. Yeah. So I quickly realized that that probably wasn't the right route for me, and found my way into other studies. But um, but there's still uh,
3: a disi- there's still a discipline there, and I think that's also very helpful too. And that's what I try to to talk to with the with kids and girls and, and kids today is that even there's you know the scientific method. There's a way of approaching a problem. There's a way of breaking it down into the elements that regardless of whether or not you carry on in those disciplines still serves you very well. It enables you to then say, okay, what's the hypothesis? What's the procedure? What do I need to do in order to get this done? And it gives you almost like a guidance and a bit of a framework for you to then break down whatever problem it is or come up with some sort of a process. And it doesn't matter if it's not necessarily purely science.
2: I think that's the, the I love that you point that out because you're right and I do use that and I do think about things in that way often. I'm also very emotionally oriented so I've got I've got a nice blend of both kind of that rational, um, logical approach but I've also got, right now I think I'm probably a little bit more emotionally oriented than <laughs> rationally but I've got, I can tap into it if I need to sure. and, uh, and I do so I love that you reminded me of that. I was thinking about how... Um, Well, I was just thinking about how to make this more interesting for kids, and one of the things that I was noticing, I recently was with grades 5 through 8, and we asked them, oh, and grades 3 and 4, and we asked them, what really matters to you? And the interesting thing was, as young as in grade 3, they were saying that the environment was mm-hmm. of uh, something that mattered to them that they want to save the planet, that they are concerned about you know the, the state of affairs on the environmental front many 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 of them and I thought, wow, you know there's a real opportunity here to connect um, to connect the dots right? in a more intentional way. And so I think that, you know, the work that you're doing, I want you to know, A, that that's what these young kids were telling me so that you, you you know, maybe that's something that is still alive and well in their hearts and minds in grade nine. Um, but if there's any use for you in what I've just said, then take yeah. it and, and use it. Um, but I, Absolutely. I'm, thinking, I'm thinking as well about how do we strengthen the connections between science, math, and the outside world, their everyday experience, and making it interesting so that they'll want to just, yeah, you know. Yeah, because
3: we're, we're going uh, to need those ends to clean up the, some of the messes of our, our generation and of our forefathers. So, I mean, it's we, um, you know, it's it, things have gone a little bit crazy, a little bit out of control through the last yeah. uh, 50 to 100 years in terms of what we've done to the planet and what we've done to society as a, as a whole. And we're going to be looking to to that next generation to be the leaders of tomorrow and to be able to, fix some of the things that uh, that we broke. Mm-hmm. So what
2: I'm taking away from this part of our conversation is that I need to think as well about how to make those links, uh, strengthen them within me so that I can speak with them in that way. I see a lot of girls, and it's very interesting, you know, uh, different classes uh, at different years are different, but mm-hmm. I see that um, a lot of them already are starting to diminish themselves Um, hold themselves as a bit smaller than the boys. Uh, They don't speak up as much. It's not every girl. I'm not saying that. There are lots of um, very outgoing and um, passionate girls that I, I come across. But there was a class one year where it almost like there was a divide in the room. The boys were the outgoing ones and the girls were very quiet and really could very difficult to even get them to
3: talk. So yeah, if, I don't I don't know if that's a cultural thing or I don't know if that's uh just the the way that the, the class has been managed in the past. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. that that becomes then the job in essence of whoever is running the lecture to to kind of encourage a safe place for the person to speak up if they are feeling shy about it. Uh I you know, certainly certain teachers do it much better than others uh in giving everyone a free shot at answering the question and and speak their mind and encourage yeah. Uh, equal participation, so that that comes, I think, from leadership, whether it's parental, the the leadership that parents provide, or the leadership that that teachers provide, or clergy, or whoever whoever is in that power the authority figure, to be able to say, okay, we'd like to hear from the side of the room. Yes, we'd like yes. to hear from Mary, please. We'd like to hear from Cindy, yeah. please. Yeah. So uh, that 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 is what we need to have good stewardship over is is being able to to welcome those opinions and to provide a safe place for uh, a safe environment for them to speak out for girls to to speak their minds so
2: here's an invitation i'm going to issue to everyone who's listening and and it's it's you know we're talking about girls in science and math at this moment but we could be talking about boys too we i think we're talking about children um, because they're all going to inherit this planet ask next time you come across a uh, a child (laughs) ask them a question Uh, We spend so much time talking to them, telling them things. And I say this as a mother too. I spend way too much time telling them what to do. Next time you're with a child, ask them a question. Anything. Show some interest in what they are thinking because that might be the smallest thing that you could do right now, but it might make the biggest difference in terms of um, letting them know that what they think and what they care about matters to you too and that you're interested. So we have come to the end of our show Linda,
3: My goodness you. gracious, has gone by fast.
2: I know, it's been so much fun. I thank you so much for joining me today. My
3: pleasure, thank you for having me. It was great.
2: It was fantastic. So, any of you who are interested, go to merodeso.com to check out Linda Stevenson's Creations. I will be back next week, and I will talk to you then. Until then, be well.
1: Thank you so much for joining us today for Stories from the Heart of Leadership. Shamin Sadiq will be back next Monday with another extraordinary guest at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hope you'll come back as well. Have a terrific week, and remember, you are not alone.